Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the world's most dangerous podcast. This is the Riverfront, episode number 409. I'm your host, Chad Dotson, with me again this week. A couple of our old friends, uh, emphasis on old. Uh, first, we'll start with, uh, I'm sorry, I, I really apologize, uh, but it's our good buddy, the godfather, Bill Lack. Live from the road. Live from the road from the uh, the Sunshine State, I think, right? I mean, we don't want to pinpoint your location too much because we don't want your groupies coming after you, but you're down south. Down in, in Florida, in the West Palm area. Uh, and also with us this week, uh, once again, after a hiatus last week, because he bailed on me because he got upset about something I said about, I'm not going to say what it is on public, but but anyway, it's Nate Dotson. Thanks for making it back with us, Nate. You know, I, I miss you guys. I didn't want to be gone it just took me a while i was uh doing some pretty pretty serious useful work i was figuring out how to align my uh, resources and my payroll ah well okay that's an acceptable reason to be away from i from figured he was just so mad about the lord of the rings thing Everybody yeah see i would have set y'all off because i'd have done this i just got rid of the star wars one so other than, other, than the the original, other than the original three, the other six aren't worth your time. Well, look, even if that's true, I mean, even if you can make an argument that's true, really it's actually the first two because the third one's really not that great, Return of the Jedi, the, the little teddy bear uh, Ewoks. Uh, we're not, listen, we're not doing that this week. Stop. Okay. Stop. We're not. <laughs> uh, what's your cap you're wearing there, Bill, if you don't mind me asking before we dive into the... Billings Mustangs this week. Ah, the Billings Mustangs. Oh, nice. And the Cincinnati Bengals. Who are those? Uh, Bengals. 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 Who, who is it? Phil Sims that calls them the Bengals? I think that's all. It's also me. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> mo- talks funny. Yeah, I get mocked every week when I say the Bengals. Bengals. Um, the penguins no good either. No good. No good. Absolutely. We may uh, we may talk about those Bengals uh, at some point here. Um, but first, let's talk about baseball because that's really kind of. Kind of why we're here, and of course, the news of the week. Well, the lockout still going on, and you know, earlier this week we had some thought that maybe there were some reports, I guess, from the uh, out of the Boston Globe, especially Mike Silverman said that spring training is going to be delayed, and then our buddy Rob Manfred, MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred, he comes out to, uh, today. Of course, we're recording this on Thursday, as we always do, and um, has some news that we'll talk about, but also says. No, the status of spring training is no change right now. So he says, no, we're not delaying spring training yet, but we're going to meet with the players on Saturday, and who knows what happened then. So spring training's not been delayed yet, but did either of you all see that as a ploy to blame it on the players when spring training is delayed after they after they meet on the weekend? Nate, you're nodding your head. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it was. He was going to get in front of some uh, some cameras, a microphone, and say, hey, Look at us. We've agreed to these couple things, which I'm sure we'll get into more later. Um, we're we're going to come back and negotiate on a Saturday. Look at us working working on the weekends, and then when <laughs> they show up Saturday, and we'll see. Like I, I hold out some hope that maybe they'll come and actually have tried to do some negotiating. But if they show up and they're still miles apart on literally everything, then yeah, it was just a just a media ploy. I hope I'm wrong, Bill. I don't care. <laughs> that's part of the right response one as much to blame as the other they, one's as greedy as the other I, I'm just spring training is not going to start on time anybody thinks that is kidding themselves 
And I don't believe, and, and I've said this all along, I don't think regular season is going to start on time. I don't, I don't think we'll get 162 in this year. I hope I'm wrong. I've been holding out hope uh, with respect to 162 and also about spring training. Um, I think you're absolutely 100% correct that uh, the announcement today that spring training, we're fine about spring training. Spring training is not going to start on time, period, full stop. Okay. Don't delude yourself. Uh, there is still a chance of opening day, but you've got to be kind of optimistic to believe that they're going to get it done. I mean, you got to really kind of, well, we always say look through your uh, rose colored glasses or, or you know, squint and, and kind of try to convince yourself. Um, we still may get 162, but I, at this point, they've negotiated. Neither side, to my mind, has negotiated in, in good faith yet. Um, the owners certainly have not negotiated in good faith because they think they can wait the players out. Um, so, yeah, hang, hang tight. We're, we're not close to the end of this thing, right? Do, do you think do you guys think there's any chance they bring the minors leaguers in earlier than normal to give the coaches something to do and maybe give the, the young guys a chance to, you know, get some some on-field time? You mean as uh, like to play actual major league games or no, just – No, 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 no. Not, 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 no. I'm just talking about bringing them in earlier. I mean, because they usually don't come in until two or three weeks after the big league guys come in for the most part of the minor league guys. And I just wonder if they'd bring him in early. I'm hoping they bring in Shane Footsteps Falco. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe. That's funny. I, yeah, that's a good question. I don't think so. Um, I think there's going to be all kinds. What, what you're talking about is bringing guys who hope to be, who desperately hope to be members of the Players Association. At some soon. point. Yeah. yeah. And so I would be surprised. And it's not technically a, a strike and quote unquote scabs, right? But I don't know. It just seems like there might be a little pressure that that'd be a tough one on some minor league guys. I don't know. We did have a viewer mail question this week. Let me go ahead and ask that uh, since it's kind of related. It comes from our friend Hooper Powell. Again, these viewer mail questions come from our friends at patreon.com slash Cincy, where you too can support this, uh, this most dangerous podcast. Would people put their butts in the seats of Great American Ballpark if they started the season with non-40-man roster players, seeing that some people just want to see baseball? Second question was also, could we host our beer league game there? We can't host our beer league softball game there, uh, Hooper, because I'm not going to Great American Ballpark now. But uh, let's think about this. This is not a this is not a strike, okay? So we're not ta- we aren't talking scabs. Non 40 man roster guys playing the actual season. Uh, I mean, I don't see it happening. But either of you want to kind of comment they on that? Well, they, they did this. They did this years ago, and and nobody showed up. The NFL tried it. Nobody showed up. The Reds can't get people to come to the ballpark when they got the major leaguers playing. There it is. <laughs> yeah. Is, is Castellini so desperate for uh, what, you know, getting uh, 150 people in the stands or whatever? I think the beer league softball game could pull a comparable number of people. And maybe we'll, we'll, we could get them to, to revise the, revitalize the Cincinnati Suds, and we could take on the Cincinnati Suds in a baseball, in a softball game. The Cincinnati Suds. What are the What are the Cincinnati Suds, Bill? They were, they were a professional softball team in Cincinnati a few years ago. Actually, it's been a lot of years ago now, but yeah. I like the name. It's a beer league softball team. If ever I heard it. What if we didn't have to give the Castellinis any money to host the game? All proceeds went to charity. Ooh. Okay. If someone wants to help me organize a Beer League softball game at Great American Ballpark for the Riverfront family. Got to go to Patreon to join the family. Um, 
and all proceeds going to all proceeds minus the cost of uh, beverages for both teams uh, would go to charity. Okay, I would go to Great American Ballpark for that. I'm in. So your 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 strike is still ongoing. Yeah, it's it's ongoing. Okay. It's easy to be ongoing when there's no baseball. When they're not playing. <laughs> when they're not playing. <laughs> well, let me, you know, again, this is this dumb little strike, and I've not really tried to encourage anyone else to join me on this. This is my little personal, just me being me. And uh, I don't encourage anyone to be like me. I really don't. But uh, I want to ask you guys about this. Okay, I did my little strike. I said, Castellini won't spin on his team, so I'm not spinning on his team. What has happened since I started that at the beginning of last year that should cause me to have changed my mind? I mean, anything? Can you all come up with anything? No. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just like a, eventually you, you miss baseball, you miss the atmosphere, but if you're willing to uh, stick to your guns on that, then they have certainly done nothing to make you change your tune. Well, you know, I went to uh, two different major league stadiums. I think I went to three different minor league stadiums last year. I, I watched baseball last year. It wasn't Reds baseball. You know, and Nate, you and I were just talking earlier tonight. We're gonna hit some minor league baseball up here, uh, hopefully, once it warms up and, and if things get started. Um, yeah, I just, again, I don't want to get back into that, my dumb little boycott, but, um, they, but, he, but Kathleen's not done anything to, to make me change my mind. So here's what I've got for you now. Nate mentioned it a moment ago. Rob Manfred, you know, kind of, oh, he tossed a little, uh, uh, you know, gifts our way, I guess. Hey, look, we're really trying. And one of those was we've agreed with the players now. Right. Yeah, exactly, Bill. We've agreed with the players now on a universal designated hitter. Now, that may not end up being the case because they don't have an agreement on anything. <laughs> but they're saying, oh, well, we're willing to give on this point. So it may not be an actual universal DH. But I would not be surprised at all. I think at this point it's uh, far more likely than not that we are going to have universal DH. Um, the Cincinnati Reds will have a designated hitter in the regular season for the first time. Bill, what do you think about that? I hate the DH. Always hated DH. Will always hate the DH. I, I can't say Nate? it any simpler. <laughs> I, uh, I agree with Bill's sentiment. Um, I think also you're correct that it's inevitable. So, like, get over it, but I agree. I think if you are going to be able to throw a 95-mile-an-hour fastball at somebody's head, you should have to run the risk of having one thrown at yours, too. So this is uh, 409 episodes of the show, and uh, Bill has been here uh, essentially since the very, very, very beginning, back in uh, you know 1946. And uh, that here in, in – <laughs> Right. In the year of our Lord, uh, 2022, that was the first time that everyone on this podcast has agreed with something Bill said. It finally happened. And what that does, that tells you guys you're really wrong. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, yeah, the DH. No, no thanks. I'm never going to like the DH. It's just, uh, you know, again, this is us being, uh, you know, traditional baseball fans probably yell into clouds, but um, it's just I, I'm never going to be a fan of the designated hitters, period, point blank. But the fact of the matter, it's here. So um, let's say the Reds well, – let's let's imagine the magical world where the the players and the owners get this thing figured out next week. And we do have a 162-game season. Who is Who has more games as the Reds' designated hitter in 2022 than any other player? Who's their n- number one DH? 
Either of you can jump in. Moustakas. Mike Moustakas. Or him or Gino, right? Yeah, and, and I think Gino's better defensively. Yeah. So I, I think they, I think Gino gets some time at, at, at DH. I think Joey Votto gets some time at DH. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know they could put Stevenson at first base, give him days off. Uh, you might see Stevenson with some DH time. Yeah, you definitely will. Those are the four guys I was going to suggest. Yeah. I think Mustakas and, and a, Mike Mustakas, Eugenio Suarez, certainly, because you just don't have – there's only one third base. And so uh, – but I think uh, Joey Votto's going to get plenty of time as your designated hitter. Just he's, you know, he's a 1,000 years old. And, you know, when he was last year, when he was 999 years old, he could still kind of handle it. But as, as time goes on, he's going to need more, more breaks. But you can keep his bat in the lineup. Tyler Stevenson – there's no reason not to have Tyler Stevenson in your lineup now, 160 games, if you have a DH, because well, and, you can and, play him at first base we, some. We didn't, we didn't think of Kyle Farmer will also get some DH time. I, I bet you he starts 10 games at DH. Does he start more games at DH than he starts at shortstop? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, Kyle, my favorite player. Yeah. Um, anyway, those are your, those are your DHs. But uh, but with Tyler Stevenson, you can play him at first base when you're spelling Votto, and get you know get some of the strain off his knees from catching. You can uh, DH him, and so uh, you can keep his bat in the lineup. And, and to the extent that David Bell does not do that, that that to me is like the biggest no brainer. Yeah. Keep Tyler Stevenson's bat in the lineup, even when you got some Yahoo planned catcher, whoever they decide on, their lame backup catcher. You know, I don't want to beat a dead horse. We've definitely talked about it here before, but it's not outside the realm of possibility for a combination of, you said, 160 games of Tyler Stevenson's bat and a just a bit of a return to form from Nixon Zell. And suddenly, losing Castellanos doesn't hurt quite as bad, at least statistically. Yeah. I mean, oh, look, a unicorn. Nah. Yeah, well, no one is suggesting to uh, that we need to count on Senzel coming back, you know. And if you if you're if you're counting on that happening, come on, you just you're ignoring the evidence. It's one of these what Bill always calls me the the, the Missouri, right? Show me, got to show me before I'm going to believe it. Here's a question about Stevenson: Do you think in the long run he ends up at first base after Joey's gone? I think he's the odds-on favorite to be the unless there's somebody in the in the system. That comes along that we're not aware of. Yeah, but I also think that you got to be kind of wary there because uh, how often do you get a legitimate offensive stud at catcher? If you have somebody else that can play first base and hit, you know that's a huge advantage to have a catcher that can put the bat on a ball like that. So it gives the rest some options going forward. But um, uh, I would say he's got to be the odds-on favorite, right? Unless they – the other thing would be is if they developed a really, really good defensive catcher. Yeah. Well, and again, with with DH in first base, you got so many options to keep Stevenson's bat in the lineup, but you can still – you can let him be like the, the backup catcher, quote-unquote, catching right. 40% of the games or 30% of the games if you've got that great defensive catcher or, or a catcher that's just average defensively. Uh, five years from now, Nate, where do you th- where do you think uh, Tyler Stevens is? Where's he playing the, most of his games? I think he's still a catcher for the reasons you uh, you mentioned, having that uh, advantage over the other team because there's just the the number of elite hitting. Assuming he you know, continues on this path, elite hitting catchers is few and far between, and 
even if he doesn't call the perfect game, you know, he's not bad back there. And yeah, plus, yeah. Plus there, aren't, plus, there aren't that many elite defensive catchers. True. Good point. Yeah, even if he's just average, that's I'll take it, especially with his bat, average defensively. So uh, that's an interesting call. Um, I got a question for y'all that just came up, and I'm going to forget it later because I'm not smart. And so I want to go ahead and, and ask it now. Uh, I, I said something dumb the other night on uh, on the Twitters because everything you, everything I, that I say on Twitter is dumb because I want to fit in with everybody else on Twitter. Um, and I, I posted a picture of Jonathan India. And we're, doing these, we're having this series of top five players, you know, at each position for the Reds. And I posted, you know, uh, one of my uh, – it, it was a troll job, certainly. But uh, this guy is the – Jonathan India is the best second baseman in Reds history, and no one else is even in the conversation. <laughs> and the number of people that here's, – here's the thing. There, there were a number of people who were like, are you an idiot? What about Joe Morgan? Okay, that, that group was like, all right, you don't understand how Twitter works. I was being sarcastic. You had the other group who was like, are you crazy? What about Brandon Phillips? Who literally think Brandon Phillips is the best second baseman in Reds history. Oh, no. I'm deleting Twitter now. <laughs> I know, right? And so uh, the the combination of those two, it, I was just like, uh, it, made, it made me really sad, frankly. Now, a bunch of people realized I was joking, and they would say things like, you know, what about Tom Lawless, you know, and all that. But um, still well. Kurt still all right. People are making jokes, and that's good. That's what I liked about it, you know, D'Angelo Jimenez. But there are a significant number of people out there that think that Brandon Phillips is the best second baseman in the history of the Cincinnati Reds. Now, I just to let either of you all, uh, maybe not Bill, because Bill will use profanity as he starts talking about Brandon Phillips. But, uh, Nate, can you can, – I mean, we like, you're, you're a BP fan, right? But come on. I mean, it's pretty absurd. You don't have to have any more than a basic level of – Red's knowledge, which is about where I am, to know that uh, <laughs> he is. I mean, Joe Morgan, he shouldn't even be allowed to hold his cleats. Well, and we'll talk about it next week, but, but go ahead, Bill. Whoever whoever said that has never even heard the name Joe Morgan. Yeah. That's the only way you can explain it. They live in some like version of the multiverse where Joe, Joe Morgan, Morgan never existed. <laughs> yeah. He stayed with the Colt 45s. That's it. Uh, that, was, that, was a, that was a Major League Baseball team, the Houston Colt 45s. That's for the kiddos out there. And, that was, and it was not named after the, the malt liquor. <laughs> That's true. It was not. It was named after a okay. firearm. Couldn't do yeah. that today. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. Just like, uh, you know, when I lived in uh, Washington, D.C. for a while, their, their team was not the Wizards at that time. It was the, the Bullets. So mm-hmm. they uh, – Every, every team in Washington has to change their name eventually. I think that's the way this whole thing works. Yeah. So the national, well, the nationals were the senators. And so now they're the nationals actually. Well, so that's true. Actually. It was a, di- it was a different franchise. Right. But the franchise that was in Washington was named something different. Oh, this is not a nationals podcast. Change the name of the, and, and the Ovechkins. And the the Ovechkins. Um, Nate's a big uh, big hockey fan, so he, he's got to keep us up to date on the. Uh, I was watching. Hockey. I was watching hockey before we went on the air tonight. The Florida Panthers, the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Blue Jackets. That's a team. Not a real good one this year. <laughs> Actually, they've never been a real good team. Yeah, uh, Ohio sports. So anyway, 
Although it's a pretty good month for Ohio sports uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, last 30 days, 45 days, when you include college football with pro football. I want to talk qu- briefly before we uh, – I do want to mention the Super Bowl because we, I think we need to mention it here. But some uh, some farm system rankings came out. You know, we talked, I think, a couple of weeks ago. Baseball America came out with their rankings that had the Reds as the seventh best farm system in baseball. And I just wanted to mention that Keith Law, who uh, writes for The Athletic and who is uh, a complete uh, – I mean, he may be right about this, but in general, he's wrong about everything else. He had the Reds as the 19th uh, ranked farm system in baseball. 19th ranked. And I only want to mention it so that I could have an opportunity to say that uh, I haven't read his rankings. I don't know what his reasons were because I refuse to read anything Keith Law writes because he is a Yahoo. And um, I wish that he's a Yahoo that writes for the Atlantic, not an athletic that writes for the Yahoo for Yahoo. Exactly. Exactly. He's, I mean, he's the type of guy that, you know, I subscribe to the athletic, but I wish they would charge more for his so that I could officially not pay for his content. Instead, I just have to avoid it. So I don't know if either of you have anything to say about the Reds farm system. I think they're probably just a just fine farm system. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know. Either of you have anything you want to add to that? I certainly can't go and you know, compare all the teams in the league's farm systems. I'm not going to go and pour over uh, Kansas City Royals minor league data. But I think we can all agree that Keith Law's a bozo. And it gives me an excuse Thank to you. say bozo on air. So. <laughs> yes, Keith Law. Plus the fact that you know the rankings don't really mean anything. We're going to see what comes up through the farm system, and it's either going to help us or it's not. The rankings aren't going to make one bit of difference of how effective they are. Wait, I mean, you mean they don't uh, sign wins and losses based on how you're ranked uh, preseason? I don't even think they do that in the minor leagues. Man, surely that's not true. Next thing you're going to tell me is that the Associated Press uh, basketball poll uh, is meaningless. <laughs> Have y'all, y'all, y'all watching, y'all watching college basketball this week? Just, just, just a little bit. One game in particular. I saw my team get beat again last night or the other night, Wednesday night. Bill, you're you're not you're not high on Xavier this year. You're a little upset with uh, Travis Steele's uh, muskies. I would have fired Travis Steele after last year. Why didn't you? Uh, but you know the thing is, Xavier hasn't made a bad coaching decision since the late '60s, so they were due for a bad one. So, well, you, you know who's going to be tanned, rested, and ready before next season? Chris Mack. The return of the Mack. Either that will bring Pete Gillen back. Oh, do not do that. Can you believe you said that, Nate? Until Chris, no, Mack, flashbacks. Until Chris Mack passed him, Pete Gillen was the all-time leading winner at Xavier University. It would be fun to get Pete Gillen in this podcast and see if his head fits in the rectangle. <laughs> well, nobody gives more cliches per minute than Pete Gillen does. It's true. It's true. Uh, Pete Gillen also coached at uh, at the school that uh, that Nate and I attended, the uh, University of Virginia, and uh, of course he was not particularly successful there. But he did have one one quote that uh, for some reason lived uh, lived uh, in infamy in Charlottesville, which is that uh, hey the, hey Duke basketball they're on TV more than uh, Leave It to Beaver reruns. <laughs> That's Pete Gillen. But speaking of UVA and Duke, they played this week. Did you watch that, Nate? I uh, I caught the better part of the second half. Pretty fun I second half, huh? Turned away from it after UVA gave up a uh, a cozy lead because I wanted to save myself the misery. 
problem with that is you don't get the spoils. That's right. Hey, listen, I, we're not going to talk about basketball here, but we got to. Uh, Bill's complaining about his team's coach, so we got to just say, uh, you know, the University of Virginia has the best coach in college basketball history ever of all time. Even even better than Georgetown's Patrick Ewing. Slightly. So he must he must teach the Virginia players how to put on their socks at the first practice. <laughs> Is that what he does? That's what, That's Coach John Wooden, Wooden. what Coach Wooden used to do. Yep, John Wooden. Wooden teaches him to iron their socks. Ooh. That, 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 my, my, favorite, my favorite story about Wooden was Bill Walton telling him he wasn't going to get a haircut. And Coach Wooden said, well, you'll look really good with that long hair down on the end of the bench. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Mr. Walton got a haircut. <laughs> yeah. Although I would have questioned uh, uh, John Wooden, Hall of Fame coach and player John Wooden, if he had sat Bill Walton, best player in college basketball, on the bench because of his hair, but he probably would have. Okay, yeah, enough of that. I think there was one boss in that program. That's true. That's true. It was Lou Alcindor. So this week's topic of the show, we've been uh, kind of going through uh, position by position. We've done starting pitchers. We've done catchers. And now we're at first base. Top five first basemen in Cincinnati Reds history. And um, the answer here, obviously, for on all of our lists, I'll go ahead and spoil our number one on our list. We all agreed it was Brandon Phillips. <laughs> no, 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 that's not what we said. Uh, but we did rank our top five first basemen. And uh, so let's, uh, let's, let's go through our lists, and we will start uh, with our number five picks. I'm going to go with uh, – actually, Bill, it looks like you had a couple of, uh, of uh, honorable mentions, and I think that both are – I don't think either of them made any of our – well, one of them made, made, made Nate's list at number five, but um, – I think I think certainly deserve mention. So why don't we just start there, Bill? Well, my, my two other my others were were Sean Casey and, and Hal Morris. And if you look at their numbers, they're basically the same player. <laughs> I mean, and they're both good players. I mean, they were you know they just didn't make our top five, but both got and I liked them both a lot. They were they were they were, you know I was fans of theirs when they played for the Reds, so I wanted to give them a mention. When I went back and was looking at some of these stats, I was surprised when I saw how Morris' stats. He was far better than I really remember him. I liked him, I remember him fondly, but he had some like just a stretch of consistently good seasons. Yeah, and he wasn't a power hitter, but that dude could flat. He's what they used to call a professional hitter, right? He could hit. He could hit. Um, yeah, you know, I thought about Hal Morris. Um, I, I certainly thought about Sean Casey. But for my number five on my uh, top five list, I went with uh, Todd Benzinger. Right. Well, I mean, it's pretty obvious. If you, when, when you all think about it, it's obvious, right? Well, he split time with Hal Morris, so that just tells you something. Yeah. There, there's one thing I do remember Benzinger fondly for. He didn't drop that little pop fly uh, in foul territory in game four of the 1990 World Series. Todd, Todd Benzinger. I hope he doesn't listen to this, and, and I hope his mom doesn't listen to this, but uh, I wasn't being serious about him being one of the top five. Todd Benzinger has to – gosh, do I want to say this? He has to be in the inner circle of worst players to start for a World Series champion team. He was really bad. Go look at – well, I remembered him because I was a, basically a kid at the time. I was a teenager, and so I thought he was good. He was a switch hitter. We love switch hitters in Cincinnati, right, And uh, at that time. And he was not good. How more should have played way more that season? My real number five was Sean Casey, but uh, – you know, I got to try to be 
uh, you know, funny. I'm, I'm still trying. I've never done it yet on this show, but I'm still trying. <laughs> you know, local, Benziger was a local kid, though, so you, you always get points if you're a local kid. That's true, and I think he did. Bill, tell us your number five, which is one that could have ended up on any of our lists, uh, but uh, it's, I'm glad that you mentioned this guy because we need to talk about him. Lee May, the big bopper from Birmingham. And, and, and I have to admit, I am a little prejudiced because his number, he was, his number, his last name was May, and his birthday is 23rd, or his, his number was the 23rd, and May the 23rd is my wife's birthday. So you're in love with him? I guess. You're in love with Lee May, yes. I am. <laughs> Um, he had three all-star seasons, two with the Reds. He had two top 10 MVP years, a 123 OPS plus with the Reds. His best year was, was probably 71, the year before he was traded. Uh, he had 39 home runs, 98 RBIs. It was his third year in a, in a row with over 30 home runs. Uh, his career with the Reds, his slash line was 278, 332, 532. Ain't nothing wrong with that. He's 96th on the Jaws list for first baseman. I did notice, I did find one thing out that I thought was really weird today about, about Lee May when I was reading today. He was inducted into the Baltimore Orioles Hall of Fame in 1998. Hmm. He wasn't inducted into the Reds Hall of Fame until 2006. That's odd. That's probably the same as his buddy uh, Frank Robinson with the Orioles and, and Reds. I bet I bet Robinson was way ahead and because the Reds didn't – Robinson forever. No, well, Robinson didn't want them putting him in. That's true. After I forgot about that. Yeah, there was the big. Uh, yeah, there was a disconnect. That's a good point. Yeah, but, but I just thought that was kind of strange because I mean, his vast. I mean, he was only in the or in Baltimore for I think four years. Um, I'm not looking at the stat right now, the stat line right now, but uh, he spent much more time in Cincinnati, much more really more productive time in Cincinnati, and yet we didn't recognize him as nearly as quickly as they did in Baltimore, which I thought was kind of odd. That is a little bit odd. I mean, he, uh, I was another guy that I didn't know a ton about. Um, understandably, I guess, but I was, I was shocked at some of the things I found out. Like 20 home runs, 80 RBIs and 11 straight seasons. And we don't care about RBIs now, but back then they were a huge deal. Um, he was the only bright spot on that, uh, 1970 world series team had a great series. Yeah. Um, one thing I found out that was super cool was that he had an 808 OPS, and it was 1968, the year of the pitcher, when they well, – That is interesting. They expanded wow. the strike zone, and he was one of the few offensive players in the league. I mean, guys like Bob Gibson and Dizzy Dean and, uh, and Drysdale were just going nuts. As a result, a couple of years later, they uh, reduced the size of the strike zone again and also lowered the pitching mound. Yep. So Lee May, he could hit in any condition. Also, also, Chad, it isn't didn't when we met when we had our interview with Greg Rhodes, wasn't didn't Greg tell us that Lee May could have been a stand-up comedian? I don't remember that, but, but uh, you know, now you got me wanting to go back and listen to that episode. It's like episode number two or three of this. Uh, there was, there was somebody he told us yeah. that was so funny that he could have been a stand-up comedian. I'm almost positive it was Lee May, but it's been a long time. Yeah, maybe. You know, uh, again, when we need to we need to kind of talk about the rest of our list. But Lee May is a guy. This is something that, that I like that we do on this show sometimes. Um, I'm, I'm like Nate. I didn't really know Lee May growing up because Lee May was not a member of the Big Red Machine. You know, he was right before the Big Red Machine, and so some of those guys. We we talk about Dave Bristol as the manager. You know, who kind of before the Big Red Machine. I, I, Lee May is kind of in that category. A guy that and, and Jim Maloney. 
a guy that could have been, uh, you know, a significant part of the big red machine, but because of the circumstances, it wasn't. And, and it was funny when, uh, when Garber and I did, um, the research for, uh, the big 50 and we were, we were, uh, researching the, the Joe Morgan trade. And it was really funny how hyper, hyperbolic the newspapers were about trading away Lee May. I mean, he was such a kind of a beloved figure in town at that time, evidently, that people were like, how can the Reds, how can the Reds deal him away? You know, and of course, nobody really understood what Joe Morgan was going to be, obviously, uh, the second best second baseman in Reds history behind Brandon Phillips. But, um, but that's a good call. And, and I, I never want to take, miss an opportunity to, uh, Talk about Lee May. Now, Bill, I will say this. We were talking recently about our favorite Reds. And, uh, you know, after that, uh, you dropped it on us that, that your wife, big Lee May fan. Yep. 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 And and he lived around the corner from me when I was a kid. I lived in a, a place called Fay Apartments in Cincinnati. Tony Perez lived up the street from me and Lee May lived around the corner, which tells you how different the salary levels were. Back in the in the late sixties, <laughs> right. Uh, so, who was the better neighbor? We know we're talking about who's the better first well, baseman. Tony signed my glove. Like your yard work glove? You were just outside. Trimming yeah, I was. I was pulling weeds. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. All right, so that's uh, that's we've. Hit, I think all of our number fives now. So actually, Nate we, you, Lee May was your number four on the list. So you really again, you didn't see him play, but you were really impressed. Yeah. Um, my number five, just to touch on it, was Sean Casey. Um, a couple of things that I found super interesting. One, it's amazing that I forgave him after he did get traded for the immortal Dave Burba. <laughs> Opening um, day starter. I thought this was a funny list of all of the Hall of Fames that Sean Casey is in. It's the University of Richmond Hall of Fame, the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame. So obviously in the Reds Hall of Fame. He's in the Kinston Professional Baseball Hall of Fame. And Obviously. most aggressively, he's in the Irish American Baseball Hall of Fame. He's a Hall of Famer. He is a Hall of Famer. He's a, multi, he's a multi Hall of Famer. Yeah. That's fantastic. He's, he's uh, also in the Talking Hall of Fame. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> God bless you. John Casey, if you are listening to that, uh, Chad and myself are currently residing in uh, Richmond, Virginia, your former home. So if you ever want to pop by, we can do a little. Do a little live podcast or something, or just you know have a beer. He'd be fun <laughs> to have. He'd be fun to have on. He would be fun to have on. Yeah, I mean, he's just. Uh, and, and you never hear anybody has a bad thing to say about him. And and Casey really was my number five on my list as well. I, I, I made a dumb joke, but um, there was a time though when I thought Casey was going to be Hall of Fame good, like baseball Hall of Fame good. Of course, what does that mean now that you know uh, the bonds of the world aren't in? But. Um, and so he didn't quite have the career that I thought he was going to have. And, but that's not to diminish the career he had. What a great career. I mean, just a, a fantastic player and, and one of the all-time uh, good guys, certainly. Yeah. He, All he, right, so let's go. One of those guys that, that they, the, the Reds at one point said, he's going to win a batting title. They said like what they did with, did with Dan Dreesen earlier. They did the same thing with, with Sean. They said, oh, he's going to win at least – he'll win a batting title here. Yeah, I think they said it with Al Morris, too. And, and yeah. like I said, they're kind of the same player. Definitely. So, uh, so that, that that's our number five. Uh, Nate's number four was Lee May. Um, Bill, you and I have the same number four on our list, and that is Frank McCormick. Now, Frank McCormick may not be uh, a household to many of you, but Frank McCormick was the first baseman 
on the 1939-1940 Reds that made two World Series and won one. And as a matter of fact, in 1940, um, Frank McCormick, who made, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven consecutive All-Star games for the Reds. He was the most valuable player in the National League in 1940. Um 191 hits, 44 doubles, 19 homers, 127 RBIs, hit 309. Um, uh, supposed, supposedly an incredible glove for that uh, jungle cat infield that you all know about if you read the Big 50. But uh, Frank McCormick's a guy in the Reds Hall of Fame, and he's a guy that um, nine-time All-Star in his, his career with, with the Reds, and uh, he also played for Boston and uh, Philadelphia. But a guy that Reds fans don't know, that I don't really know that well. I know a little bit better than I would have if we hadn't researched for the book, but this dude could play, and he was a member of one of the Reds World Series teams, and he's not quite as remembered as maybe you would think, but, I mean, again, we're talking 1939, 1940, uh, even before Nate's time. Yeah, he, he – uh, and it, actually his, his 44 was as good as his 40, if you look at the numbers. Uh, interesting, looking at the All-Star voting, in, in 38 – Ernie Lombardi off the Reds won, and and McCormick was second – or McCormick was fifth, I'm sorry, in 38. In 39, Walters won it, and Derringer was third, McCormick was fourth, and then he won it in 40, and Walters was third, Derringer was fourth, Lombardi was ninth. So this shows you how dominant those 39 and 40 teams were, you know, in the MVP voting. Absolutely. Nate, you, I know you remember the 1939-1940 Reds very fondly, don't you? Yeah, it's a big year for me. Um, another guy that I was kind of blown away when I started doing a little research, I do have a just completely arbitrary rule that if I haven't heard of you before I start doing the research, I can't put you on my list. But <laughs> that's, that's Nate's younger generation rule that he has for this podcast. He tells me every week. But it's uh, absolutely well-deserved. And any, any list you look up is going to have him on there. Yeah, if you look at career wins of a replacement as a first baseman, uh, he's number four on the Reds' all-time list. And uh, and really, uh, go look him up, for real. Go look him up. Okay, so that's our uh, number four. We were through our number four, so let's uh, look at number three. I think, actually, we all had the same number three now that I look at, yeah, at the same it. Uh, we do, yes. So let's go ahead. Uh, we, we're in agreement here. So, Bill, I'm going to let you um, take on Ted Klozuski at number three for us. You want to talk about Ted Klozuski? Well, he has the best arms in the history of the Cincinnati Reds, mm-hmm. you know, and the best uniform, the best, the best customized uniform. Um, thirty of his thirty-one point five wins above replacement in his career with the Reds. He had four All-Star games, three MVP top tens. Uh, his OPS with the Reds was one twenty-eight. The slash line with the Reds was three hundred two, three fifty-seven, five twelve. Um. His best year was uh, six, or was 54 when his OPS plus was 167 and he hit 49 home runs. Uh, every year, this is a, this, this just knocks me out. Every year between 50 and 56, he had more walks and strikeouts. That's that's hard to do. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> For a power hitter. Yeah. I mean, this wasn't a guy that was, was slapping a ball around. Just you know, and and the and the, the the finishing thing to say about Ted Kozlowski was he was the hitter on the hitting coach on the Big Red Machine. Oh, fun fact! It's true, and they could hit. <laughs> my, my favorite story about Kozlowski is uh, this is one I didn't know. Again, I keep talking about the research, but 
this one was one that blew me away. We did a chapter on the Schwab family, the groundskeepers forever. And so evidently they're out in, in Indiana at spring training one year. And Schwab, the groundskeeper, Matty Schwab goes in and he's, he sees some guy just launching balls. I'm a University of Indiana player. It's in Bloomington. He's launching balls. And he's like, oh my gosh, look at this guy. And it's Ted Klazuski. And that's how he was kind of discovered in the Reds, uh, or he got on the Reds radar anyway. Um, Ted Klazuski just, uh, he's he's as good as, uh, as, as the old guys tell you. Um, a great career. And yes, great arms. Uh, Nate, I don't know if you got any, any thoughts on uh, Ted Klazuski, but. Not much. Um, um, you know, it takes a special kind of talent. He was also a like, starting tight end for Indiana's football team. Oh, is that right? Sports stud. Um, his nineteen fifty four season jumped out to me. Jumped out to anybody because it's a six forty two slugging, one hundred four nine OPS. He hit a home run every eleven point four at bats that season. I think finished second in MVP voting. He was just a stud. And anybody that's going to rip off his sleeves because it's uh, too restrictive on his guns, like okay, I changed my mind. He's actually my number one. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Uh, he's like me in so many ways. I, I, I think basically is what we're saying here. I just, uh, I feel a kinship, you know, um, that's why I don't wear sleeves to work ever. So Ted Klazuski, number three on all of our list, number two on our list. I'll, I'll, I'll grab this one. And this was of course, um, big red machine, first baseman, Tony Perez, uh, Tony Perez, one of the, uh, kind of legendary, uh, you know, most likable guys is uh, most well thought of in, in reds, Franchise history, a Hall of Famer, uh, seven-time All-Star, uh, won the MVP of an All-Star game. You know, just um, uh, everyone that was involved. He, he wasn't the best player on the Big Red Machine. He just wasn't the best player on the Big Red Machine. But everyone on the Big Red Machine seemed to think he was the most important player on the Big Red Machine, kind of the heart of the team. And and also, you know what? He was, he was really good, <laughs> you know. Um, and so – and when he was traded away after that 1976 – World Series win for the immortal Woody Freeman, right? Is that right? And Dale Murray. And Dale Murray. Uh, that was kind of, you know, um, that didn't – the Reds were still pretty good going after that. But, man, there was just something something different. So, Tony Perez, number two on all of our lists. And, uh, Bill, you can, you watched the guy play. Um, a special player, right? It, it, he really was. It, 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 I have special memories of Perez. It, it seemed like whenever my buddies and I would go to the ballpark, Perez would have a big night. I can remember the night we and we talked about this. I think when we did uh, building the machine, the, the the night I got my my driver's license and my friends and I went down there and it was a doubleheader and we got there and Perez hit I think two home runs in the first game and two home runs in the second game. And it was like he. It, I used to say he should he should pay our way into the ballpark, you know. But you know the the, the home run and. In, 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 Game seven of, of uh, the 75 World Series is as big a home run as I've ever seen hit for the Reds. Um, by all, you know, the, the little bit, the few times I met him when I was a kid, he was always very, very kind, you know, to the kids in the neighborhood. Um, I don't know if he's a Hall of Famer, honestly, whether he's a, a he is a Hall of Famer, but whether he should be in the Hall of Fame, I don't know. Uh, I'm prejudiced, I guess. Uh, I'm glad he is. Yeah, it's kind of like if, if Concepcion ever got in, we'd be like, well, I'm glad he's there. Yeah. But it's yeah. tough to make that case, right? Uh, that's Dave Concepcion. We'll be talking about him, I think, in a couple weeks. Um, Nate, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and talk about our uh, 
our joint number one. Although it looks like you may have a tie there. I do. I um, I think we all need to acknowledge it and quit uh, beating around the bush here. The best first baseman in Cincinnati Reds history is obviously Adam Dunn. What do you guys think? <laughs> not even on. It's a good top. point. How do we not forget even, him? Not even in Bill's honorable mention. Unacceptable. <laughs> and I, I, I that just. I completely screwed the pooch on this one. <laughs> yes. The best quarterback and best first baseman. Uh, Joseph Daniel Votto. We all had him number one. Um, I get pretty jealous a lot of times, like listening to Bill talk about something, you know, getting to watch these guys live. I'm like, who do, who do I have? Who do I get to uh, you know, tell my grandkids about? Assuming that ever happens one day. And, yeah, I got a little bit of Larkin. Definitely done. I mean – I'm going to have a picture of Adam Dunn on my mantle above my fireplace anyway. So we'll know who he is. That's Uncle Adam. But uh, <laughs> Joey Votto is that guy. He's the, he's the one player of my generation, I think, that, you know, maybe I've had a, I've been overserved and kids sitting on my lap, and I just start waxing poetic about uh, Joey and Joey V. So he was all number one. The stats speak for themselves. We talk about him. <laughs> All the time. All the time. The only thing that I think he had going against him is if you look at my top five, apparently if you have a nickname that starts with big, you become a great Reds first baseman. So we had the big dog, big clue, and the big bopper. Big bopper, yeah. I don't <laughs> know. What was McCormick's name, Chad? What was McCormick's nickname? The Big Mac. <laughs> I don't know. So Joe, let's, uh, let's, let's start the movie the, the Big Canuck or something and uh, <laughs> solidify his legacy. Yeah, you know, um, that's a great point. You know, uh, Bill always tells us about the big red machine guys, and I get uh, jealous as well. But, and for, for me, it was Barry Larkin, kind of, you know, the guy who played his whole career and was, you know, he was the Johnny Bench, like, uh, you know, uh, Bill had Johnny Bench. I had Barry Larkin and, and Joey Votto's for the, this latest generation where there's not been a whole lot of success. And, and I'm glad to see, we've talked about it here at the podcast. We don't need to belabor that, but, uh, you know, it's it's good to see over the last couple of years how he's Reds fans have finally started to come around a little bit on his greatness. He's inner circle. I mean, he's I don't know that we may never see a, a Cincinnati Red a better hitter in a Reds uniform than than, than Joey Votto uh, going forward. And so, uh, just got a number, the best first baseman in the history of this long uh, long history of this franchise. Bill, I, I I can't disagree at all. I'm, he's twelve on the Jaws list, and the only guys above him are Pujols and, and Miguel Cabrera. Uh, a whole bunch of below him that are in the Hall of Fame, you know, he, he's going to be a no-doubter, I think. Uh, first ballot, I would hope. If he's not, I'll be very disappointed. Um, I, I'm not sure there's, there's been a Red that's won more awards or more top 10 MVPs or, or anything. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about all told than Votto has. He's got five, you know, MVP top tens. He won an MVP. Probably should have won another one. Uh, came in second in rookie of the year. He's been on the all-star team six times. He's got a gold glove. I mean, one of the things that amazes me is 2010 to 2018, he led the league in on-base percentage every year but 2015 when Harper beat him out by .001. I mean, so, so he really should have won it between every year from 2010 to 2018. That's pretty amazing. Well, just everything about him is amazing. You know, he's led he's led an on base percentage, the league in on base percentage, um, seven times. And the players who have done that in history are, you know, there's like what Ted Williams, uh, 
Rogers Hornsby. Um, Bonds. Barry Bonds. I mean, it's it's inner well, Bonds is not inner circle Hall of Famer because the Hall of Famers is a joke these days. But um, it's it's the greatest players of all time, literally. I mean, it, 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 I, I agree with Bill, uh, and we, we I wouldn't have said this before this year, but I think he's probably trending towards being a first ballot Hall of Famer, and it's just in the last couple of years, and as the Hall of Fame. Uh, voters are getting younger, and by the time he's up for maybe seven, eight years before he's up to, to uh, for election, it'll even be a, a younger crowd that's understands what on base percentage means. He's just a legend, and if you don't think he is, well, you're wrong. Yeah, we fire you from listening to this podcast. Exactly. Leave. Take your computer yeah. and go home. You know, yes. this isn't like the uh, no offense to those guys, but the catcher's list wasn't exactly chock full of stallions. But these first basemen were good. Everybody we mentioned is really, really, really good. It's the best position so far, right? Yeah, I agree. The best. The best. All of them are all of them are multiple year all star, uh, multiple year top ten MVPs at least in their career. Maybe not with the Reds. I don't think Lee Mays were with the Reds, but he even still. in Baltimore. I mean, they were all really, really good players. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's really, I guess. We'll look uh, as we do all these, but it's going to be one, end up being one of the stronger positions, I think, uh, in in Red's history. All right, so we're going to do some viewer mail, but first, before we get into viewer mail, I want to uh, well, let me look quickly, uh, see if I've forgotten. Is there a is there a viewer mail question that? Yeah, there is a viewer mail question that allows it hit that topic. So instead, we're going to go straight into viewer mail. These viewer mail questions come from our friends at Patreon.com/slash Riverfront Sensei, as I said, where you, you two can go and. Uh, Join the family. We got a, a, a good group. Uh, well, most of them are a good group. There are two who I really dislike. Really dislike. I'm not going to tell you who they are. You can debate on our Slack channel who they are. But um, one of them's initials are uh, are Joe Farsi. I'm sorry, Joe. You know I'm kidding you, buddy. You know we, we love have, you, Joe. And we don't have a question from Joe this week. Oh man! So really, I do. It's it's the first time. I hope he's okay. I hope he hasn't uh, <laughs> left the family. I got to check, make sure he's still part of the group. You might have finally gotten fed up with our nonsense. Yeah. Our first question comes from Calvin Medcalf. Now, Calvin, listen, I like Calvin a lot. Okay. Let me just uh, say this. I, re- I genuinely do. But Calvin's from across the pond, as you've heard us say in past weeks. And so he misspelled the words uh, favorite and organization in this question. Because they have they they have crazy spellings over there in uh, in the, what used to be you know like I don't want to disparage them too much but it used to be the mother country but we you know we put them to rest uh, you know in the late 1700s told them to take a hike and uh, so but anyway they still misspell words over there but but uh, Calvin thinks he's spelling them correctly because that's what his teachers told him the Queen's English and she's too old to be giving spelling tips. Exactly. Come on. So Calvin's question is this. Evening, guys. Have been listening to a lot of stuff about prospects recently. So I wonder, A, who's your favorite prospect in the Reds organization and why? And then he asks, who's your favorite non-Reds prospect? So favorite prospect in the Reds organization. Um, For me, I'll go ahead and lead out with this one. It's only because, well, it's because of his crazy power, but also because just because of his name, L.A. De La Cruz. Uh, just Ellie De La Cruz will be the next guy whose name I say on a dumb way on this podcast, and it'll get to be a thing. So, do you have a favorite, Nate? Oh, yeah. If you've uh, listened to me any at all recently, Graham Ashcraft is going to be a stud. He's one pitch away, but um, I'm, I'm hoping they don't 
bring him up in relief because I think he could be an elite reliever right now. But after that seven-start, 43-inning of scoreless stretch last year, I, I was hooked. Yeah, he needs to be a reliever. Bill? I I don't know if you consider him a school considering a prospect. I like Barrero. Um and, and I'll go. I'll be. I'll go easy. You know, take the easy road and say, you know, Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo too are guys that I'm really looking forward to watch play. I'll tell you who does not consider him a prospect is Keith Law, but he's a jabroni. Oh my gosh! You had to go there. You had to go. Wait, there. Nate, are you just aggravating your brother? <laughs> <laughs> he's been doing it since the day he was born. I'm aggravating Keith Law. Every, everybody's <laughs> got to have something that they're good at, you know. That's right. I have a uh, nemesis. Nemesi. I need one. Nemesis. <laughs> well, I, I have an arch. I have an arch enemy. I have. A, I have an arch enemy. I have a nemesis. You need one. It's important. You know who my. You know who mine is, of course. Mark Ruffalo, right? <laughs> Does he know that he's your nemesis? No, because I blocked him on uh, Twitter, so there's no way for him to find out. My fiance does, and brings it up every chance that she can. <laughs> yeah yeah she's turning into my arch nemesis but that's a different story uh but I'll, don't tell her that until i've uh you know moved out uh, yeah till next week um uh, favorite non-reds prospect i mean obviously it's mike trout right we all agree with that yeah. mike trout is good is the best player will be the best player for the next 10 years so i'm considering him still a prospect if he puts it all together if he can put it all together and stay uh, did you all say yeah, we t- I hate to talk about Twitter, but uh, did you all see the, the the tweet the other day? This was fantastic. I mean, it was just glorious. Where some guy says, "Oh, you know, I'm a I'm a hitting coach." It's a guy, it's a guy hitting in a cage. He says, um, uh, "Take a look at this my guy's swing here." That I'm it's from the perspective of, of the pitcher or the pitching machine or whatever. But uh, take a look at his swing. And do you have any tips for him so he can get better? He really wants to, you know, um, play at the next level. And all the responses are like, "Oh, that swing's never going to play." in division one or that sling's never going to make it to the next level. And he's, you know, he's, he's leading with his shoulder too much or he's dipping his shoulder too much. And, and, and the guy that was batting was, was Mike Trout. I mean, it was just, it was the funniest thing I've seen on Twitter ever. It was literally, you couldn't really see who it was back there because he was kind of far away. It was Mike Trout. It was, it's was, it was fantastic. That's Twitter for you. That's a perfect well, example. Maybe, maybe he won't make it. Maybe not. Maybe his career's done. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Mike Trout. Ugh. Next question comes from our friend Rex Scott, and this is kind of this one of the saddest questions we ever gotten on on viewer mail. Rex Scott says Nathan Connor, another one of the of the of the Slack Channel family, the the Riverfront family. Nathan Connor and I are Reds fans and also Dolphins fans. You understand? This started as Red Leg Nation, which is around the nation and around the world now. Um, so we're not all uh, local f- football fans, but so Nathan and, and Rex are. Reds and Dolphins fans, please diagnose and name the psychiatric afflictions we are apparently choosing to inflict on ourselves. Yeah. Must you know, something in the water in the 70s. Oh, yeah. In the 70s, that was good times. Yeah. It, it is, Bill, let me ask you this. Is it funny how um, Dolphins fans are kind of feeling bad that they're not Reds and Bengals fans now? <laughs> I, I, well, that's where I was going. I, you know, I've been a Bengals fan since '68, so I've been through some bad times. You know, oh. I, the last time we went to the Super Bowl, I had season tickets, and it's been a long dry spell. Nate was wearing diapers in '88. 
Maybe literally, it's close. <laughs> I'm also going to be um, wearing backers for their next. And the other, the only other thing I have to say about the Dolphins <laughs> is, 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 is my first Bengal game. I saw the Bengals play the Dolphins in '68. Uh, I like their logo though. The Dolphins. Mm-hmm. You mean Larry Zonka fan? Bob Greasy. I was, I was as a matter of fact. I kind of want to apologize yeah. to Rex on this one. I wanted to come up with a good name for. Yeah, this. I got and I'll I'll report back on the on the slacks the twitters. Yeah, I couldn't come up with one either, but uh, it's amazing that Dolphins fans um, who've won a couple or have they won one or two? Um, Both in the seventies, yeah. Yeah, the Don Shula era uh, Dolphins. Um, all right, Rich Thompson has a couple of questions. They're both pretty quick. Uh, he was uh, short and pithy this week. So that's good. Rich Thompson, question number one: Other than Great American Ballpark. What's the best MLB park you've been to and why? Bill, I'll hit you up first. That would probably be the, uh, the old Yankee Stadium. Uh, just the tradition and the feel and, and that kind of thing. It, uh, I went there. It was kind of a dump, but it just felt different, didn't it? No, no, no. Shea Stadium was a dump. Well, I've been there too, and it was a dump. But, I mean, it was just uh, – yeah, the old Yankee Stadium just concrete. and But, man, you could like feel Babe Ruth's ghost walking – you could say the same thing probably about Fenway and about Wrigley, you know, too, but they're just, there's just an atmosphere that you don't get everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. What's your, what's your favorite? What's the best you've been to other than great American Nate? Uh, PNC. Just oh, a, PNC's good. sit back and watch a, watch a nighttime ball game. I thought it was gorgeous the way the uh, you know, center field opens up and looks out into the city skyline. I love watching the game there. Uh, the, the, the flip side uh, pirates. Can't win them all. Yeah. My uh, my favorite stadium, uh, including Great American, and I think Great American is a criminally underrated stadium. I really do think it's a legitimately uh, good stadium. But to me, uh, it's uh, Camden Yards, Oriole Park at Camden Yards, uh, which you know um, it was kind of the first of this of the of the wave that we had for for a couple decades of the kind of the the old style ballparks. And I went back a couple of years ago and it holds up, man. That stadium is, is a great, great stadium. And uh, so that's what I would get. Rich's uh, second question is what other MLB ballpark ballpark do you still want to see? You all have a bucket list uh, stadium that's still out there that you haven't seen? Nate? Just one for me. And that's because I did uh, get the chance to tour it when there was no game. Um, Dodger stadium it just seems like it would have to be one of the most fun experiences. It's such a unique, unique ballpark. Except it's the Dodgers. Well, you know. Here we go again. Here we go again. You had to wear the wrong hat. (laughs) Why don't you wear your Dodgers hat? Rude. (laughs) Anyway, mine would would probably be the the, the ballpark in Houston. I hear that's a really nice ballpark. I could see that being fun. Chad might be having audio problems. Can you not hear us, Chad? I think he did it on purpose after all that. Yeah, here we go. Now, now, now we're going to have – the inmates are running the asylum now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't care what Chad's answer was. So right. We're just move, We're going to move on. Moving on. Our next question comes from Kyle Kapler. Kyle says, Gary Nolan, Gary Sheffield, or Gary Majewski? Hall of Fame worthy? Chad, you have an answer? Uh, sorry, I, I – I, I lost you all there for a minute. I my yeah, we, we just went on without you. Right on. I we could tell. 
I appreciate that. Nobody, if you're listening on the audio podcast, you're never going to know. It's fantastic. Um, <laughs> look, can I say who my the statement statement that I want to? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Just you're holding us up, and go ahead. Ruin the flow of the podcast, whatever. Fenway Park. I've not seen Fenway. It's on my. It's on my bucket list. Bill, what was yours? I because I didn't hear it. Quickly. Mine was Houston. Okay. Um, I yeah. Fenway. Fenway was fun. Fenway's great. Yeah. Similar, similar. I went to vibes to uh, Old Yankee and, and Wrigley. Yeah, you can just yeah, feel. And I've been to Wrigley. Went to Dodger Stadium this past summer. Loved it. Sorry, Bill. Um, okay, so anyway, we're, we're holding this up here. Kyle, you already said Kyle Kapler. The answer to that was Gary Majewski, right? It, I it, do you that. think Sheffield's a Hall of Famer? No. He doesn't jump out to me as a Hall of Famer. I'd have to go back and look at his numbers, but yeah, let I think, me. Well, I think he's. Well, I think he's close. Get a Hall of Fame back well, stance. That's true. I would say if Harold Baines is a Hall of Famer, and Harold Baines is officially a Hall of Famer. Then Gary Sheffield probably should be. I don't think either of them. I think they're both should have been close, but no cigar. So there's a guy um, named Gary Nolan who is a uh, professor at Stanford that uh, does a lot of research into UFOs. He's in my Hall of Fame. UFO Hall well, of Fame. And the last I heard, our Gary Nolan was a dealer in Vegas. Oh, really? Yeah, Cards. That, this was years ago, though. Cards, I hope. <laughs> yeah, what was he dealing? Well, I hope uh, it was close. All, right. <laughs> all right, two more questions. Let's get through these. Uh, next comes from our buddy Dwight Kelly, uh, everyone's favorite. Dwight asks, so who else had to have the Reds batting helmet and a pouch of Big League Chew for backyard wiffle ball when they were a kid? That was Now, was Big League Chew, when you were a kid, Big League Chew wasn't a thing yet, was it, Bill? That was Jim yeah, Bouton in the 70s, Jim right? Bouton, yeah, he, when he was pitching in, for that team in uh, – that minor league team or that independent league team uh, that they did the, that they did the uh, Portland. Yeah. They, and they did a, a documentary on it, which is a great documentary, but he, they invented that. They know I've, I've never had big league chew. When Bill was but have kid, you ever played? He played wiffle ball. Actually chewed tobacco. <laughs> yeah. yeah chewed tobacco out, the, out on the sandlot. <laughs> um, now Nate's played some wiffle ball. I know. Uh, I remember Nate's uh, wiffle ball highlight. Uh, I was there. Uh, maybe we can talk about that. But um, uh, I did have a, a chaw of big league chew, and I would do my, you know, Eric Davis stance out in the yard. And then when I was pitching to my other brother, not Nate, but our, one of our other brothers, I, I was Mario Soto on the mound and aimed for his head every time I pitched. Uh, so the answer, to, uh, Dwight, to your question for me is uh, yes. And also, when you, you go to the Reds game, you get one of those helmets. They used to, I don't know if they, I guess you can get nachos in them, but. Yeah, we wore those things we were playing, those plastic helmets, you know, that you get the ball yard. Uh, and they were giveaways back then, too. We wore those. Nate? When you were aiming for our brother's head, it sounds like you needed the helmets. <laughs> um, we, um, we were a big wiffle ball family, so we played a lot of it. I mean, we, we played variations of it, even as we got into uh, you know, young adulthood. Just kept it alive. Um, we always had the one, one routine we kept was you always had a mimic of batting stance. So it was all about who, uh, which red were you when you were up to bat. Who was your favorite? Uh, you You're a lefty it. swinger. I've had that the whole time. <laughs> there, was a, there was a Griffey spell for sure. I mean, everybody who's ever played, everybody who's ever held a bat of any kind has probably practiced King Griffey Jr. swing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, uh, today might have been, today or yesterday, like the anniversary of the Griffey trade. Oh, he was a good player. 
I'm like that, yeah. He, he was a good player. Um, Bill, I, do you have anything you want to add to this conversation? And you kind of you're talking about this the stance thing on Twitter yesterday or today, and and mine was Johnny Bench, the, the straight up bat, you know, or the Pete Rose, you know, the tuck. Mm-hmm. Those mm-hmm. were the two. Yeah, uh, quickly because we uh, we do need to get done here, but uh, I will mention what Nate kind of alluded to a moment ago. When Nate was couldn't have been more than three years old. And uh, I decided I was going to, you know, uh, turn him into a, a left-handed hitting catcher, you know, because I was the oldest brother. And he ended up being a pretty good baseball player. But um, so I'm pitching, I'm pitching wiffle ball to him. And he hits one and it, it right off my eye, right off my right eye. I mean, and it, it hit me hard. And I was pretty close to him because he was a kid. I was throwing underhand. I mean, I, you know. Front porch, just soft tossing. Yeah, I was, I, was sitting, I was on the front porch and just kind of, because he's a, he's a baby basically. And he just starts bawling. Because he thinks he's killed me, you know. And I'm like, oh, and it did hurt. It, it hurt. I got to. I'm like, no, dude. I'm happy. That's the hardest one you've hit. You're doing great. You know. That's, a, uh, that's that's one of our legendary stories, right, Nate? I'll never forget the time that I uh, hurt my brother's face. I was <laughs> I was legitimately scared though. Like, this solid line drive. You let out a yell, and I thought I was in so much trouble, and I knew mom would protect me, so I just ran. <laughs> I was like, dude, it's all right. I'm happy. That's the best one you've hit yet. Uh, good. Uh, if nothing else, we get some family memories out of this uh, out of this podcast. It, our last did question: it black, Did it black your eye? I don't think it did because it was a wiffle ball, but it hurt. It hurt like crazy from that distance because it was close. We were we were close, but and it's one of those uh, you know those yellow wiffle ball bats. We were a wiffle ball family, and you know when I. I got married and had kids and we went looking for a house and I purchased one. And a big part of the reason why I purchased this house is because it had such a great wiffle ball yard. And my kids just, and my son still plays baseball, loves playing baseball. The neighborhood kids, it was in a good neighborhood. They just, it's not a thing. They didn't come over to play wiffle ball. I was so sad because it was a perfect wiffle ball yard. We would have loved it. Right, Nate? Absolutely. All right. Last question. And this is one that I think we really have to talk about uh, here. And so uh, our buddy, Joey Gaditza, um, Gives us an opportunity to talk about it. So, hey, guys, does a Bengals, Bengals Super Bowl Super Bowl win warrant a Patreon Zoom party? Or do we have to wait for a Reds World Series win? Might be waiting a while. Well, look, we're, we're going to have a Patreon like uh, a Zoom party at some point, whether the Bengals, Bengals win or not, and before the Reds. That's going to be soon once I get moved and into our new place. But um, uh, the Bengals. Bill, what are you, what are you feeling Right now, with the Bengals uh, Super Bowl coming up Sunday, uh, surprising everyone. I mean, just an, uh, kind of just a special, special season. What are your thoughts as a guy who's? I mean, when 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 was your first Bengals game? You mentioned it earlier, but when was that? October the I think it was October the twentieth, nineteen sixty eight. They lost twenty four twenty two to the Dolphins at Nippert Stadium. Oh wow! And so now you've spent the you know since nineteen eighty well nineteen ninety what nineteen ninety one since the last playoff win, but nineteen eighty eight since the last Super Bowl. It's been bad. I think that's an understatement. So what are you feeling this week? They went 30 years of being terrible. I mean, um, I'm very surprised that they are where they are. Um, I thought they'd be – and once they won the division, I thought they'd beat the Raiders. I didn't really think they'd beat the Titans. I really didn't think they'd beat the Chiefs. I shuddered. I, I don't want to even predict what might happen Sunday. I, I, 
I, the one thing I will say is Joe Burrow is special. He is really, really special. Um, I'm not sure that he's not already the best quarterback in the history of this franchise. And Kenny Anderson should be in the Hall of Fame. So what does that tell you? Uh, I, I, I won't listen to this Achilles Smith slander on my podcast. David Klingler. <laughs> David Klingler. Jack yeah. Thompson. Jack Thompson. You want me to keep going? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm I, not feeling very good right now. <laughs> yeah, really. I, you know, I just, um, I've been disconnected from football for a long time. And, uh, you know, I kind of got into soccer and as you, as you get older, you know, you get a family and you just, your time to, to, to watch sports kind of lessens and somewhat. And, and the Reds have always been obviously the forefront. And so I got into soccer. And I was like, well, football kind of took a backseat. And then, then last year, Joe Burrow, man, there was just something about that guy. There was just something about him. And then he got hurt. And I'm like, oh, here we go. It's Bengals curse again. Right. And um, what he's done in his second season, not even two full seasons. Not even two full seasons. I mean, it's uh, you know to watch to watch uh, Burrow and Jamar Chase, uh, and frankly, my favorite player is T. Higgins. Um, you know, they just uh, it's uh, it's a they're a flawed team. But if you're a team that just wants to watch a fun team, they are fun to watch. They, the, the skill position guys are fun, and it's a team if you want to hop on the bandwagon. It's a pretty good one, right? I have never seen a team that nobody expected to be there act and behave more like they belong. Like there's not a person on that roster that doesn't feel like they are the best team in the NFL. And they've got obviously the quarterback. They've got a great running game. They've got three great receivers. We don't say that enough. Uh, there's other two guys other than Chase are pretty, pretty special too. Um, the kicker McPherson is becoming a Cincinnati God overnight. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that defense, the uh, sort of bend but don't break nature of that defense, and they have made big play after big play. And I remember saying on here a few weeks back that I, you know, the only chance they have to beat the Titans is if uh, they keep Joe, Joe Burrow upright. He got sacked eight or nine times that game, and they still won. So like that Scott State line is doing just enough to keep them in the ball game. And I think it's, a, it's an awfully fun, fun season to, uh, you know, special season to root for. They put a lot of money into their defense, uh, and and it shows. The Woozy's had a great year at, at, at cornerback. Apple really came on as the season went on. Mike Hilton, Mike Hilton, at the other cornerback, uh, the linebacker kid. I can't remember his name now. It just ran out of my head. Uh, they've gotten good pressure. Uh, Hendrickson at the defensive line. Mm -hmm. It's going to be interesting to see him against Andrew Whitworth on Sunday. Um, and, and if the bank and, and not to look past Sunday, but you know they, they've got a lot of cap money next year, and if they pour that into the offensive line, that offense could be frightening. Well, that was one thing that they did, or one thing I guess that they didn't do was a lot of teams go out and make these giant free agency splashes and spend tons of money. They spent some money last off season, and it was just on steady veterans, yeah, just people that were going to go and help this young team not be afraid of the moment. And I think that doesn't go. Talked about enough. You don't. You don't well, have they, to the flashiest free agents. Nate mentioned Hilton. Uh, you know, who came from Pittsburgh, right? And he's been yeah. he's been fantastic. Yep. Um, he, he, well, he's best one. He's best one of the best corners. The, you know, slot corners in in the game. And he's and he's been phenomenal for the Bengals all year long. Uh, Wilson is that that linebacker's name that I was trying to think of. He had a, he's had a great year for the Bengals. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I, I, I want to relate it back to the Reds somehow, and I'm not sure that I can, but it just after so many years of bad decisions from the Bengals, you know, um, they hit on Burrow, okay, which is fantastic. But then, you know, there were, there were opportunities to screw up the draft last year because everybody's clamoring for an offensive lineman, and they take Jamar Chase. You, you were one of the ones, Bill? I was one of the ones that wanted him to take Sewell. And, and Sewell's going to be a really, really good player. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but the, you know, because I, I, I grew up listening to Paul Brown. And Paul Brown said, you build from the front. You know, you could take an average wide receiver, an average running back, and he looks a lot better behind a really good offensive line. And that's the way Paul Brown always built the Bengals. So, you know, but it's, it's, well, really, hard, it's really hard to argue with what they did. Well, it's either, it's either dumb because your franchise quarterback got destroyed last year and his season ended with, a, you know, uh, because you wouldn't protect him, or it's genius because you see, uh-oh, this guy, Jamar Chase, is available. But even later in the draft – I love when people show those tweets of everybody complaining about the, the about the Bengals picking a kicker. <laughs> you know, I just I love it. I think it's fantastic. It's you know uh, freezing cold takes, as they say. And, and I'm not sure we've seen that kid's distance yet. Oh I'm goodness. not sure we know how far he can kick the ball yet. I mean, oh no, he could. He, I mean, look, yeah. Again, you, what, you don't want to say this about a kid like this, but he, uh, you're talking Hall of Fame talent. I mean, legitimately. Uh, Why I, not take a pick on him? I, I'm just, I'm just saying. I've seen it. I think he kicked a, a 57 yarder this year, I think. And, and I think it landed in the net. Yeah. 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 Could have been, <laughs> could have been deep. So, I mean, uh, Bengals are going to win, this weekend, right? We're, we all, we're all in agreement. The Bengals are going to be Super Bowl champions. Anyone disagree with that? I Not hope today. so. Not today. <laughs> Not, Not making a prediction. But I, yeah, I get show. it. All right, guys. Uh, this was fun. Any final thoughts uh, for the viewers out there? Hopefully uh, we can talk some actual uh, some baseball soon, get some movement, and get excited for this upcoming season. What I'm looking forward to is uh, I think hopefully next week uh, Chris Garber will be back and we can uh, talk to him about why he uh, specifically tries to avoid being on the same episode as, as Bill Lack. It's because I wear my hat sideways. I go to that special store to buy these special hats. It's where Pokey Reese went. <laughs> Pokey Reese. Me and Pokey hang out. We're, we're, we're like this. You are the same in every way. Okay, so this is uh, The Riverfront, episode number 409. Uh, next week will be 410. That's one more. Um, I, you know, I don't have much to say. This was fun, guys. Thank you all so much. Loved it. For, uh, let's see, for Bill Lack, for Nate Dotson, and for, we're, we're going there, Achilles Smith. This is Chad Dotson saying, so long, everyone.